Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Patrick Smith. Patrick, how you doing? I'm very well, sir. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited for this interview. We're going to talk about a uh, piece of parenting. So what exactly Excellent. is peaceful parenting for the people who don't know what it is? Peaceful parenting is just uh, sort of a realization of the things that we're discovering about children and how interacting with them in forceful controlling or what you would probably know as traditional parenting styles is actually turns out to be pretty harmful, inefficient, and some of the worst things that you can do. It produces terrible outcomes in almost every measurable category from um, general life success to um, depression, anxiety, um, everything uh, across the board. Kids turn out worse when they're spanked and hit and controlled with the what's thought to be the traditionally correct way to parent. And peaceful parenting is sort of examining the alternatives. Um, there's a, a large toolbox. There's quite a repertoire of ways to deal with your kids and interact with them and raise them well to be respectful, well-behaved people, adults, without using those old forceful tools. And peaceful parenting is sort of um, learning, learning about that and implementing that in your life and in your home. Awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> How does you first hear about peaceful parenting? How, is it just the natural conclusion of uh, the anarch libertarian anarchy philosophy applied to the children, or is it uh, something you heard about outside of uh, libertarian anarchy philosophy? I, uh, I, I'm, I, I came to libertarian philosophy as a philosopher. So I, I went looking for the authority behind the government. And when I, when I realized through after quite a bit of research and study that it just didn't exist, um, then you sort of have to reexamine your entire life because everything that you were taught is revolving around the, the, the capacity or the, the possibility that there could be something called a valid or just involuntary authority. And then, of course, you have to examine all of your relationships by that rubric. What relationships am I in where people don't treat me as equals, where they treat me like they own me in some way or that they have the right to order me around against my consent? And then, of course, philosophy is nothing if not about making sure that we've found consistent positions. So you have to examine all of your relationships and challenging the way you were parented is one of the most difficult and emotional processes for sure out of anything that you can do there's a, you know obviously to to question how your parents raised you is a very difficult thing to do certainly many people can't even bring themselves to do it but um uh you you realize that you cannot teach a child to grow up into an adult that respects and understands and demands that other people respect their self-ownership if you don't treat them with self-ownership while they're growing up. That's, they learn what it means to be a self-owner by you treating them as if they own themselves, by you respecting their person and body property as in the same way that you expect other people now that you're an adult to respect your body property. Hmm. Um, and you sort of create the world that you want to see in your home and then your kids grow up. So there's, there's a very true thing about the human species and probably about any creature that's alive is that when we enter the world, 
we don't start questioning everything on the way in. We just accept the reality that we're presented with. So if we're, when we're young, when we're children, food is scarce. We don't question why food is scarce. And I'm talking about, for example, North Koreans. They don't question the government as possibly a bad actor, semi-enslaving them all. They accept the reality that they're born into as normal. They have no reason to question it. And so by the time they're adults, again, they don't really have a big reason to question the status quo because that's the reality that they've always been in. So just to bring it back to children, if you, uh, if you raise your children as a strong authoritarian with do what I say because I said so, do what I say because this is how it works, um, without making arguments and negotiating and treating each other like equals, then when they reach adulthood, they're going to inherently in their lizard brains, because you trained that into them, they're going to expect an authority figure to still exist out there in the world. And when, when they're out of your house, it's, it's not like they go looking for it, but it's natural when this group of people called the police or the government steps in and says, hey, well, you gotta do what we say. Why? Well, because we said to, because we said so. Well, what if I disagree? Well, you consent. And they use all the same kind of mm -hmm. crappy arguments that parents will sometimes use in their kids. Well, because I said so. Well, why do I care what you say so? Well, my house, my rules. Well, what does the government say? You know, my country, my rules. You wanna, you wanna be a citizen and live here? Well, then that's the rules. And so what do most people do? Like the evidence of this argument is right there in front of all of us. Most people say, oh, well, if I don't like it, I guess I gotta leave, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, this, no this none of that is true. This piece of parenting really, like, way you just explained it, really does so when you're talking to conservatives or the traditional conservative types, and they keep drawing symbolism between governments and parents. It really does so in the ways to expect an authority figure and respect authority for authority's sake. This leads me to my second question then. Is raising your kids in this way more of an activism thing, or is it more where you actually believe it's best for your kids? Like, I... Now, I, I believe you have to do best for your kids, but I know some people will look at it and go, oh, you're just being an activist. You're just trying to be consistent for your own arguments. You're not putting your kids' well-being ahead of um, your philosophy, putting your philosophy before your kids. Now, how, do you, how would you respond to that objection? If my family were the only humans on the planet, I would not change a single thing that I'm doing. So what I mean by that is if there was no one else in the world whose mind I needed to change or if there was... If there was nobody else, you know, for me to be an activist to change the hearts and minds of the society around me, this is the correct principled um, ethical way to parent. And it's it's just really more effective. Uh, and and I can say that. And this is important because most people, even peaceful parents, cannot say what I'm about to say. I've done it both ways. I have raised two sets of children from start to, well, near finish with my youngest. But uh, the first set I raised very traditionally, I came up conservative. Um, I, I had forceful parents, I had spanking groundings, uh, you know, the full authoritarian gambit that most people, uh, at least in the south, southern United States would say you're an, a bad parent if you don't do those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I did those things with, with my eldest and with my youngest children, I implemented what I call principled parenting, which is peaceful parenting, but taken in a more responsible way because a lot of people that promote peaceful parenting kind of get into permissive parenting which is kind of really just non-parenting and that mm. is not what i'm talking about at all yeah, i was talking about, about that 
actually. Yeah, I mean, we can get into it. I, I'm kind of answering 50 questions and you only asked one. But yeah, to answer your good. question, it's open. It's open. I, I, would, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. That's very good. I'm going to, uh, I bring a piece of parenting up quite a bit, not by choice, but I, I deal a lot with conservatives online in person. And so peaceful parenting inevitably comes up. And when they're actually interested, because a lot of them don't, it's the first time hearing this idea, they have a lot of questions. And so I figured I'd throw you a few hypotheticals and see how you would respond and what would be the principled solution. Sure. So uh, let's say your kid, uh, you knew your kid was going to go to a party that there's going to be booze at that party. And they had their own vehicle. They want to bury you to leave. And they were going to depend on you for any way to get there. And they were completely independent. And they were only 15. Would you, how would you handle that situation? Well, we have to be careful that we're not philosophizing in midstream. So mm. what, I, what I mean by that is you can't take a 15-year-old that you've parented traditionally with spanking and authoritarian controls it, their whole life and then hand them to me and poof, suddenly they're my child. <laughs> and I've got to... I've got to figure out how to handle your child with my uh, parenting um, because so much of what goes on for uh, principled parenting is preparation and um, talking about things beforehand and making deals for things beforehand. And when the, when the children have grown up their whole life, knowing how to negotiate to get what, what they want and what's important to them, and they've learned to follow and keep the deals they've made with you, um, which we can talk about at length. There's a there's a years uh, a lifetime for them of a foundation built of trust and negotiation and agreements that um, that you don't get when we're philosophizing midstream. So the, that's the first thing I want to say. Like I, I like that you, expression, <laughs> philosophizing midstream. I'm, I'm writing that down. That's a it's a very good expression. Yeah. So, you know, I can tell you how my, how it would work for my children um, who have been raised their whole life to negotiate, to get what they want and to make deals, to get what they want and to discuss openly risks and things that they're doing that maybe me and my wife are worried about. And um, it involves property rights first and foremost. So um, who owns what, involved. Well, I own myself and my son owns himself. And uh, who owns the car involved? Well, if, if that's my car, then, you know, I have rules that I would want to set for this person's use of my car. What are those rules going to be? Well, we're going to we're going to negotiate beforehand. Hey, dad, I, can I take the car to such and such a party? Well, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's make a deal. Th this is not some weird thing that I'm talking about. This happens a uh, a hundred times a day in my home. It probably doesn't happen in most homes. Certainly didn't happen with my elder children uh, because they didn't need to happen. You don't need to negotiate with people when you can say, this is the rule, do what I say or else, uh, or else consequences or else, you know, spankings or else, you know, groundings or whatever. You don't, you don't need to negotiate with somebody when you can order them around. And from the other side of that equation, it's impossible to negotiate if they can't say no to you, that's important for both sides, right? If they are, if they're unable to walk away, there is no such thing as negotiation. So you begin by recognizing the property involved, who owns what, who has rightful control over what, if it's my car, like I said, now we can have a discussion. What kind of party is this? Who's going to be there? Is there going to be alcohol there? 
you know, what do you think about alcohol? And maybe we've had millions of discussions with my son at this point about what alcohol is. Maybe, you know, for fun, but maybe also education. We've watched a bunch of YouTube videos of what drunk people act like and do and the stupid things that they get up to and the ways that they hurt themselves and and how sometimes the 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 police get involved and, you know, people's lives are ruined and destroyed and and how dangerous it can be. And there's there's years of discussions that go into teaching a kid how to be a grown-up because being around people and being around alcohol and drinking alcohol is part of being a grown-up for a lot of people and so you need to talk about it and have these educational discussions beforehand so anyway it, get, it all comes down to preparation and making a deal and so if we make a deal we make a deal for the use of the car we make a deal for whatever needs to happen and uh you know if they agree to the terms then they use the car and can go if not then they don't get the car um that's that that these 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 hypotheticals are super complicated because mm -hmm. whoever came up with that question for you and it might have been you and it might have been somebody else but they have a, a specific scenario in their mind and i probably talked about something completely different and mm -hmm. it's just really you got to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people yes sir, I, I agree i agree so i have a few more uh, you mentioned um halfway philosophizing midstream and if you try to apply peace to parenting after not providing all the preparation. So what would you say if someone discovered peace for parenting as they were adopting a kid who was already 13 mm. years old, raised in a very abusive, not just like traditional abuse, but like straight up abusive household. I can I imagine this would be a lot harder to adapt and deal with. Do you have any uh, tips or advice or any idea of how that would even go about happening? I mean, this has to be one of the hardest challenges that anybody ever puts to me when we talk about this subject, uh, without question. Um, the first thing I like to say, and I think this is an honest, this is, I like to be very honest. I don't have direct experience with this, so I can only, I can only give recommendations on what I think would work and how it should or could work. Um, but again, I don't have direct experience. So I, I'm willing to, like, if you know somebody that's in this situation and wants help with this, I'm willing to mentor or consult or whatever I can do to help that person if they are working through the situation and maybe be a sounding board to talk back and forth with them about it. But um, just coming in from the outside, having not adopted any abused children, I don't have direct experience. I suspect, though, that the beginning, the first steps would be pretty important. Um, and I'm pretty sure I know what the first steps are or should be. Um, the first is to shut up and empathize. So stop trying to talk or tell things to them or, you know, tell them how it should have been or shouldn't have been or what your opinions are or how you expect them to behave. Just shut up and listen. Let them talk to you to whatever extent they want to. Um, try and mirror what they're saying and what they're feeling back to them as best you can. Um, try and empathize, try and try and let the uh, pressure off. Then uh, make make uh, make commitments to how you want to interact with them. Um, begin with the basics, the same basics that I teach my kids. Uh, it's your body. Um, I'm here to help you. My job is to protect you. My job is to keep you safe. Um, I'm not going to ever hurt you. I will never hit you. Uh, I will never yell at you. Um, 
I I want to help you get through life and to your adulthood as best as I possibly can and as safely as I possibly can. And um and then it's just I, I would imagine it's just following that up with with actions, just proving that you you relentlessly keep your word. Uh you never hit, you never yell, um you make deals you keep your word because if you're not keeping your word, then they will never need to keep their word to you Mm. and uh, be constantly engaged in reinforcing reciprocity. Oh, so you, you expect me to keep my word, but you don't keep your word. Is that, is that, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's going to work? Oh no. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to keep my word if you keep your word. And I would expect you to say the same thing to me. You know, so if, if I'm going to provide you, if I promise you a, a meal every day, then I'm going to expect you to, to keep your promises when you make deals with me, that kind of thing. You got to sort of establish mutual reciprocal respect on some level and then keep your word always. Um, yeah, without without more specifics, I probably don't have any more advice to give because I haven't been through that myself. But those are my initial thoughts. Understandable. understandable. All good advice. All good thoughts. Uh, another hypothetical. I, I'm sorry, but I'm just. I don't, I don't plan. I don't plan this for hypotheticals at you, but I want to get them out of the way to begin with. All um, good. Yeah. Pornography. If a kid is uh, on your cell phone plan, you know, in your house using your Wi-Fi, or if he is independent and has his own cell phone plan and his own data, like how do you go about handling or preventing porn addiction and uh, and your and kids? There. The, the first step to any of this is uh, education, and the second step is always prevention, and then the third step is the thing that you hope never has to happen, which is some kind of intervention. Because if you've mm-hmm. done the first two jobs, if you've done your job right, then there's never a situation in progress that you have to jump in in the last moment to stop. And this goes for everything. And I've had people come at me talking about, well, what are you going to do when your kid runs in the street? If you don't spank him to teach him not to run in the street, what, they're going to run in the street. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So, well, I'm getting sidetracked, but you know, you you not protecting your kid from running into the street does not justify you hitting them. Anyway, sidetracked. But um, same thing for everything, though. So, like, if my kid loves junk food, if my you know, because children love junk food, uh, mm-hmm. all kids, teenagers, everybody, kids love candy, teenagers love junk food, and porn, <laughs> and um. And it's kind of the same thing. So like if I don't ever buy junk food and put it in my house, then there's not really an argument to be had. Now, if they maybe do some chores and earn some money and go out and buy some candy, well, they kind of earned that. And their capacity to purchase and consume it is limited by the amount that they're willing to work for it, which is kind of how it should work, right? Like uh, if, if they're out busting ass for the money to to buy a lot of junk food, well, they're probably burning enough calories to balance out the junk food they're eating, you know? Um, but, you know, there's a lot of education that can go along with it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you can show, uh, maybe you can t- take your kid to visit, to talk to a doctor sometime, and you can talk about health and how the body works and the effects of junk food on the body. You could do the same thing for porn. You could just have lots of conversations with them about um, maybe uh, pornography's effects on, I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but... Um, I assume there's some brain chemistry involved in, you know, being able to see a thousand women, a thousand different women naked one after another in the space of an hour. You know, like that's a that's a thing that the human species was not exactly uh, evolved to handle. Um, 
I think somebody somebody on Twitter very wisely said that uh, a human in this day and age can see more beautiful women naked in an hour than uh, an 80 year old did in their entire life 100 years ago. <laughs> That's true. So, so it's um it's about it's about who owns the property involved. If um if you're using my internet, we have a deal in place on how my internet is used, and and I do this with my children now. So you know if if you're using my internet, then there's certain YouTube channels that we don't watch, and there's uh, you know certain things and ways in which you're not. That's not part of the deal. You can't use my internet for those things, yeah. and um, and they they you know the first time they violated it, they lost. I. I stopped making the deal with them and they weren't able to use the internet anymore. And they learned the lesson very quickly. Like I keep my word. Uh, if I promise them internet, then they get internet as I promised and they have to keep their word to not use it in ways that I didn't consent to. And, um, and the other part of that is you don't owe them internet. So if they break your deal, turn it off. And now, now, if they're out in the world, if they're old enough, really, to hold down a job and make enough money to legit pay for their own cell phone plan and cell phone, well, I mean, they're then maybe they're getting old enough to make those decisions, and maybe then it's just about education. Maybe then you really gotta, you know, talk to them and make the case. And and hopefully, again, if we're not philosophizing in midstream, and their whole life you've been a good source of conversation and advice, and not control and force. Like and, and and you were right over and over as parents are just by virtue of being older and wiser. Like every time you say, "Hey, son, you know, if you climb up that ladder, you might fall and get hurt." And I don't want that to happen. I don't like it when you get hurt. So you, you might not want to climb up the ladder. And they climb up the ladder and they fall down and get hurt. Well, you just put a check mark next to your name. Uh, you know, you put a you put a dime in the bucket of credibility for your parents. And with a whole life of that. You know, you're hopefully will built up some credibility and some trust and a, a good relationship with your kid. Things that you don't get by force and coercion and grounding and hitting that those things destroy your credibility mm -hmm. and destroy your relationship and your trust. One of the reoccurring themes I'm, I'm noticing with peaceful parent or principled parenting is education. There seems to be a big emphasis on training your kids like adults and educating them and not not keeping them in the dark on the things that could harm them because you you don't want them to get hurt themselves. So you're really open and talking with your kids. Is there a limit to how far you go with educating your kids? Like, I, I assume you kids, there's some things kids that know about to the older, obviously. But like, how do you, how do you go about determining when a kid is uh, ready for a conversation on something? Does he discover something on his own and he says, well, now we got to talk about it? Or do you prepare him in advance for things that you predict he might be uh, dealing with? Like, how do you go about this? Give me an example. What, what are you thinking of? So let's say your kid's seven, eight years old, and he is walking down the street and he discovers a nudie mag, comes home and asks a bunch of questions, uh, or doesn't know what it is and hides a nudie mag or something along those lines. How do you, if you have a principled conversation about the dangers or the possible downsides of porn at a young age, he might know, okay, this is bad, avoid it because I trust my parents. But if he has not uh, had the knowledge given to him yet to determine these things, how do you know? How do you go about determining when you should alert him to the dangers of like junk food and drugs and stuff? Like, how do you determine when he's ready to to know about the dangers of the substances and the way it would? Constantly, like at, your kids are going to be constantly exposed to things, and so if they do, they make nudie mags anymore. 
they still make them. And it's, it's I know, I know. I was at a, I was at a, I was at a book the other day, and it's a random uh, gas station in the middle of nowhere. And they had a, like a line of them. I'm just like, holy shit, they still make these. <laughs> it was it was right nuts. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, this this hasn't happened. My kids haven't been exposed to any pornography, but you know, if it did, because they're exposed to random things, mm -hmm. as all children are, uh, that it's out of your control. Uh, you know, you you just you, they're used to having a conversation with you. There's never been a, a hiding anything from me mm -hmm. because they're step one in principled parenting is realizing where the culpability is. And I don't talk about this too much in that talk that you watched um, for Anarchapoco, but I do talk about it in the Peaceful Parenting University videos. And step one of all of this is realizing that this probably doesn't go as much for adopted children that obviously spent years outside of your care with other people, but certainly for your children that you bring into the world. You are responsible and culpable for just about everything that happens to that kid if they start hitting people you are responsible so you don't get to be mad at them for their decisions to do the thing that you taught them to do if they're yelling at somebody they probably didn't make that up they probably saw somebody yell to get what they want you allowed them to be exposed to that now i'm not saying this to like beat yourself up but i'm saying it to correct pe most people's perspective on who's at fault in a lot of these situations so if your kid's walking down down a street that has a lot of nudie mags on it, let's just say, yeah, well, why, why did you let your kid walk down a street that has a lot of that garbage on the side of the mm. road? Step one, check yourself. It might not always be you. It might be random chance. Maybe it was a perfectly normal street and there was a nudie mag on it and there was mm -hmm. nothing you could you couldn't have seen that coming. Fine. But question number one always needs to be, what could you have done that you didn't do to prevent that thing from happening to your kid? because you already failed at whatever that was. So let's just begin there and begin there humbly, not in like a self immolation kind of way. Just be like, okay, well, I could have done that better. That's my bad. So now let's handle the situation. Kid brings home a nudie mag. Dad, what's this? Why are all these people naked and showing their parts and stuff in this, in this book? Well, now you have a conversation. Hey son, there's that's, that's a, a grown up book and some grownups, you know, for some reason they like taking pictures of themselves and showing them to other people naked. What do you think about that? He's like, who knows what my son would say? I'm just trying to picture. He'd probably be like, well, that's that's uh, funny, dad, or that's weird, dad. And I'm like, yeah, I think I think that's pretty funny and weird, too. Um, you know, we don't know who touched that thing, though, so you might want to throw it away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a weird kind of a I think that and I would say something like that's kind of like a weird or a gross book or something like that. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what I'd say. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. And I know uh, it's a really obscure object, uh, hypothetical. I, on the spot that's why i said we're down a more detail in advance but it's well honestly i've had less experience with that kind of stuff and 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 more problems with um the results of peaceful parenting on on the outside world's uh traditional forceful parenting the, the rest of the world is not ready for these kids my kids can negotiate better than most grown-ass adults and i'm not exaggerating even a little bit they've been negotiating to get what they want since they existed on the planet they can negotiate anybody out of anything at this point. And, and yeah, and it's hilarious to watch. The world is not ready for them. Also, they have a very rightful, strong sense of self-ownership. They know who owns them and they know who's in charge of them. And so when outside people that are used to getting 
having authority over them, mm-hmm. just random people. It happens all the time. Like uh, one one story happened really recently. My kid was up the street playing at this uh, new friend's house that he met. And uh, he was staying with his grandpa who lived in the house. And my daughter was there with him and they were done playing. And so my son started off towards the house and uh, he's faster than my daughter. So he started you know, leaving my daughter behind on his way home. And the grandpa called out and yelled or didn't yell like mean but he ordered he basically told my son to stop and wait and walk home with his sister and he just nonchalantly because to him this is normal hey uh it's my body uh i do what i want and he just kept on going (laughs) like he literally told the guy hey this is my body you don't get to tell me what to do and he just continued on home the guy was straight shook, man. Like <laughs> he texted my wife, this, this grandpa dude texted my wife and told her the story. Like he was telling on my son. It was like, this disrespect will not be tolerated. <laughs> uh, I'm like, dude, you just let a kid like get you all flustered and triggered. Like what, what's <laughs> up with that? So that the world is not ready for them. And those are the kinds of problems I have more than anything. Like, Another story, if you want, you know, if you have other please, questions. I, I was going to ask about how to deal with other parents, so please continue. Yeah, so uh, another story was when my son discovered the word fuck. And um, he just started carpet bombing my house with F-bombs. Just like F this, F that, F you, F them, F that guy. Uh, you know, F-ity, F-ity, F. Just, just blowing it up. And... Um, you know, it's his mouth. Yeah, you know, he he can he can control his mouth however he wants. But it's our job to educate. And it's our job to talk to him about what that's going to be like for him if he goes out into the world and starts using his body in those ways. So we begin education. Hey, did you know that there's people out there that when they hear certain words, they decide to feel sad, angry, upset. Um, some some people pick words. And for whatever reason, they just choose to let those words upset them. What do you think about that? He's like, oh, that's dumb. I think he said effing dumb. Because <laughs> he was working it out. You know, he's learning how to use the language, which is part of, you know, the mental uh, linguistic center of the brain's development process. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. You know, he's working it out. And um, so then we said, yeah, yeah, I mean, but you realize that like sometimes you need to work with other people and you need to be able to talk to other people and you need to be able to make deals with people and you need to be and sometimes you're going to want to play with people and those people that you're going to want to play with or that you're going to want to make deals with are going to be some of those people that have decided to get upset when they hear certain words he's like oh really i was like yeah there's a lot of people out there you know like grandma you know like when you're at her house (laughs) if you said if you said fuck at, at uh at grandma's house she would feel real she would choose and i and you you say it very precisely because most people this is part of principal parenting you have the capacity to choose how you feel and how you react never say the words i made somebody feel that way i will never say to anybody son when you say the word fuck it makes them feel mad because that's not how feelings work. You are the you are responsible for how you feel and how you react, not anybody else. But that doesn't change the fact that if he says the F word at my mom's house, <laughs> she 
uh, is not going to like that. She's going to be uncomfortable. And I can even say it like that. She's going to you know, choose to feel uncomfortable. She's she's not going to want anybody saying that word in her house. So what do you think you should do, son? Like, do you want to go see grandma? Oh, yeah, I love you know, he loves grandma's house. It's like, mm-hmm. OK, well, um, you know, what if what if you what if you needed to make a deal that you wouldn't say that word when you went over there because it's her house and she gets to make the rules, right? He's like, oh, well, yeah, that's fine. OK, so we make a deal. So it's just kind of those iterative educational conversations about the reality of the world outside the home. And then immediately, a couple days later, he went up the street, different family, um, religious, typical uh, conservative Texan family. They were playing out on the driveway. My son starts carpet bombing with Fs, just F this, F that, whatever. You could hear him down the street. It was was hilarious. And... um, you know, they put a stop to that. They're like, you cannot talk like that. And of course, his first response, very nonchalant, was, hey, it's my mouth. I can, you know, I can say what I want. It's like, well, no, you can't. Not in, not in this house. And you can't play with my son if you're going to talk like that. And they made him leave. So what happened? Well, he came home upset. Mm. Well, what, what is this? This is the perfect teaching moment. Because we've laid the groundwork. We've had the talks about language and how to use his mouth and you know, how other people are going to react. He's gone out into the world. He's experienced exactly what we taught him might happen. And now he's coming home. Now is the the primed teaching moment where you get to sit down and number one, shut up, listen, empathize, mirror back to him. Oh, son, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I bet that feels really terrible to have them, you know, say that you can't play with them anymore. Oh, man, you know, give me, you want to, you want to hug, you know, and you actually just shut up and let them tell you what happened and how they feel and mirror it back to them and care and empathize and learn what happened and then talk about it. Oh, hey, remember that conversation we had where, you know, there's some people out there that choose to feel certain ways when when somebody says bad words that they think are bad. Um, And so you just go through it. It's that's that's a more common occurrence with this Mm -hmm. principal parenting style than the other way around, where it's like our kids are used to owning themselves and to having freedom. And they go out into the world and they're sort of met with uh, authoritarians. <laughs> and, and sometimes, like in this case, this is this person, this is not some kind of bad authoritarianism. It's mm. their property. They can make whatever dumb language rules they want for their property. And my kids respect that because they understand, because they've learned in my house that, it, you know, if, if, if it's your property, you get to make the, the rules for mm. it. Just like they own all of their toys and, you know, they get to make the rules for their toys. Not even me can override it. Right. So. Mm. Um, right, that's something I want to ask about. About um, <clears throat> I'm noticing with the self ownership uh, and kids having self ownership, is it's very different than the uh, say egotist version of self ownership, where they think I own my own body and I can ignore other people's will over my own body. They can, but if it was how I put this, in a worst case scenario, someone who had these kind of uh, principles incorrectly installed in them, when hearing that objection from the other parent, would be like, well. I can do whatever I want because fuck you. Uh, but in this way, where you're raising them, they respect other people's self ownership, which I think is very important because sometimes you bring up my kids own themselves and people will take that in the most negative sense. But the fact that your kids respect other people's self ownership is a very, very important and interesting uh, fact of all this. That's very. Because so- the way you teach it, there's something that activates very early in humans, and this is this is a bl- this truly is a blessing. This is this this enables teaching 
the principles of self-ownership very young. And I mean like two or three years old, the brain, this is one of the first things the brain understands is that if I don't want them to do something to me, I better not do it to them. It's this, this reciprocity. It's definitely felt long before it's understood. It makes sense emotionally and it makes sense logically. And it's how you bring them up from the very beginning. It's like, um, if, if, uh, do you want them to be able to come over on into our house and start doing things that we don't want? No. Okay. Well, you don't get to go over there and onto their house, into their driveway and do things they don't want. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Like that, that's how it works. And that makes sense even to little tiny children. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so basic. And honestly, that's all of moral philosophy in a nutshell is, is mm -hmm. that reciprocity. Yeah. Love. Jesus said to love others as you love yourself. You know, it's very, it's very simple and everywhere. So I want to ask some more simplistic questions now that I've kind of got the big ones out of the way. If you had to go grocery shopping and your kid didn't want to leave the house, you know, would you start bargaining with somebody about grocery shopping or do you feel like this is a, I need to go grocery shopping. I'm not going to take the time to debate and I'm not going to buy a 10 piece nugget because I need to buy groceries for the week. Like how the kids, the kids start losing this. It's one of the fears the kids will start using this negotiating ability to lord over the parents and say, well, I don't want to go shopping. So now I get to go get some nuggets. You know, like, how does this, uh, is, that, is that one of the fears of this kind of piece of parenting? How do you handle this? Preparation. Prepar <laughs> it's all like, all no, I, I'm broken record. But literally, my answer to everything is going to be preparation. Don't begin an hour before you need to go grocery shopping. Mm. Just like, don't, like, if you're going to buy a house, don't go looking to buy a house an hour before you need to move in. You're going to be at a severe <laughs> negotiating disadvantage. You're going to have to take whatever deal somebody offers you in that short a time frame. Exact hmm. same thing for literally all the negotiations you need to have with your children or with any adult. The secret is that all of this stuff works on adults just as well as it works on kids. Begin early, negotiate early. If I want to buy a boat, I'm in the market for a boat right now. Actually, I'm trying to buy a boat. <laughs> like um, I started looking way earlier than I wanted to buy so that I would have plenty of time to negotiate. Same thing for the shopping trip. Um, hey, you might even put it on the calendar. Like it's a regular enough thing. So, you know, like th Thursdays are, sh are grocery shopping days. And so if, if the kids are in the habit of going to the grocery store, then that just kind of makes the negotiation almost non-existent. Sometimes they're just in the habit of it. So they'll just get in the car and go and it's no big deal. So that's a longer term strategy, but um, a shorter term strategy would be like, hey, if you, need, if you know you're running out of food and you know tomorrow or the next day you're gonna need to make a grocery store run, that's when you begin talking to them about it. Oh man, we're getting low on food. Whew, I hope we don't run out of food. You guys have any ideas about what we should do about that? <laughs> oh, better go to the grocery store. We should? Oh man, when should we go? You know, and you just involve them in, the, in some of the, the status of the home and what's happening. Oh man, looks like you're getting low on pop tarts. Whew, that's gonna suck when you run out of them. Oh well, and you just kind of walk out of the kitchen. Mom, we're gonna need more pop tarts. What do we do? You know, so like, there's if you just stop being, and I don't mean you personally, I just mm -hmm. mean people in general. If you just stop being so goddamn lazy, and, and if you remove the, if you remove the authoritarian tools from the toolbox, you're also removing your ability to just be lazy because the force mm -hmm. and the coercion and the authority allows you to be lazy. It's the lazy solution to everything. I don't have to work. I don't have to, I don't have to bother myself with my children's self ownership and all those pesky principles. If I can just say, get in the effing car, I have to go to the grocery store. Like that's the easy, lazy authoritarians way out. Stop mm -hmm. it. Like you're destroying your children's sense of self-ownership in the process and their respect for you. 
when so anyway i'm getting my high horse now but anyway so like you know there's <laughs> it's well earned it's you, well earned if you just start earlier and have the talks like man we're gonna start getting real hungry around here if we don't go to the grocery store and maybe they're just still not interested then you know maybe they want to go to the skate park sometime this week it's like hey well let's make a deal you i'll take you to the skate park which is something that as a good parent, you probably are going to do anyway, because your kids need that activity and you know, like you should be doing things with your kids anyway. So it's not like you're really losing anything or giving up anything in the negotiation. But from their perspective, you know, you're, you're doing something in exchange for something, which is important. That's what negotiation is. That's what mutual ownership and respect is. So you make deals. Hey, you wanted to go to the park later, right? Well, we we need to go to the grocery store to get some groceries. If you'll come with me and we can make a deal for how you'll behave in the grocery store, I will agree to take you to the skate park afterwards or or tomorrow or, you know, write it on the calendar. Calendars are big for younger brains mm -hmm. because they make these promises more concrete. It's like, OK, mm -hmm. well, we have a calendar on the wall. On Thursday, we will go to the skate park if you agree to go to the grocery store with me today. And when they agree, let them go write, you know, a skating board picture on the calendar on Thursday. And every day when they wake up, you can be damn sure they're going to go look at that calendar and see if it's skating board day, you know, like, and then keep your effing promises. Because the moment you break that promise, you lose all credibility and the ability mm -hmm. to negotiate, which is why philosophizing in midstream doesn't work for this stuff, yeah. because you have to have built up a respectful reputation with your children. I have a few more uh, questions. What was I feel that? like you asked, me, you asked me a tiny question and I talked for an hour, so I'm sorry. Well, it's, no, it's, it's great. I have like five questions here that lead into each other. I asked the first one, I could mark off five. And so it's making my job real easy. Oh, okay. Sit at my desk. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I want to bring up medical care. Um, I know a lot of uh, my own parents and the people I talk to, when I bring a piece for parenting, they say, well, what if your kid is sick? You know, and they don't want to take the medicine. You know, how do you go about? I assume it's laying the ground, groundwork. It's they have a self interest in taking the medicine, but really, when it's a painful medicine, you know, I know you uh, have some experience with this and say as much as you're willing to say. But uh, is there a is there a point where you had to? How far? How far? I, I mean, I know the answer. How far are you willing to go to make a trade if it's your kid's well being, but. Is there any point where you saw, okay, if it doesn't work out, I have to force it? Or is it just like you you stuck to the principles because you had faith and trust in your kid and do what's best for their own low bank? Oh, so, okay. I get this question every time we talk about medical care and self-ownership because it's a great illustration of a conflict of interest. At the end of the day, they are not yet capable of judging the long-term cost-benefit analysis of medical care versus the immediate pain or disgustingness of the medicine or pain of the medical treatment or the needle stick or whatever. Like in their brains, the, the needle stick is way worse than whatever this weird sick thing you're talking about is. They don't, they don't have that capacity. Yeah. Um, and again, preparation. And I talk about this in the talk and I know that I'm sidestepping your question and I wanna let you know that I know that I am and I'll get back to it because I, I, it's important, but if you know days or weeks in advance that something is going to happen, you have all the time that you need with, um, without exception. And I can say without exception because for whoever's watching, my daughter was diagnosed with leukemia and she went through some of the most difficult, painful, 
disgusting, um, torturous medical treatments that you can imagine. And her consent, with the exception of two times, now imagine that, three and a half years and counting of treatment, and I know the exact number of times her consent and self-ownership was violated. And both of those times, one of them was a mistake, like an, an actual uh, mistake. We, we fucked up on our parenting, and I talked about it in that talk that you watched on the, on the, the stage. And the second time, the uh, hospital um, violated our instructions for our children, and we have an ongoing investigation opened with the hospital over it. All of the other times, all of them, we were able to do our jobs as parents and prepare well enough. And so I, I, I say that only to just remove this excuse from most parents' brains. Look, if I can get through almost four years of leukemia treatments with, um, I, she started, at, she was three years old when she was diagnosed. So if I can do that with a three-year-old brain up to a seven-year-old, if I can do that consensually, respecting her, her self-ownership, no one has any excuse when we're talking about grocery stores and junk food and and internet access like that stuff is so easy in comparison so i just tell that story to set the expectation okay so if we let's say it's the worst even a worst case scenario like worse than leukemia it's just like maybe she's hit by a car or something and she's severely injured and her life is in imminent peril and you know the 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 EMS is arriving and my daughter, even though she's in terrible condition, refuses and disconsents to the EMS putting her on the, you know, putting her in the ambulance and taking her to the hospital. Let's just say that that insane situation is, is where we're at, right? Hell yes, they're going to pick her up and put her in that, in that ambulance and take her to the hospital. Because at the end of the day, it's my job to protect her. And if she got hit by a car, for example, I've already failed to protect her. I've already failed. That's already on me. Uh, and I need to figure out how to do better next time for damn sure, obviously. But anyway, um, yeah, no, if it comes down to it, your, your responsibility is to the adult version of that child. When that child turns 18 and their, you, your job is done and they walk out of the house and you ask them, hey, how did I do as a parent? Did you consent to everything I did, even that one time when you said no and I made them put you in the ambulance to save your life? And they say, oh, of course, I, I appreciate you saving my life. I was, I was just a kid, of course, I didn't know. That's what you're wanting. That's your standard of expectation. That is not, and like, and I told the leukemia example first, because if I can do that, then anything easier than that is off the table already. It's got to be worse than cancer, okay? It's got to be worse. It's got to be worse than it's got to be an immediate threat that you already didn't prepare for. Uh, and it's it's got to be a situation in which for some reason you don't have time to do the preparation or do the uh, you have to act immediately to to save life or harm. Yes, of course. I'm not saying just stand by and watch them, I don't know, bleed out in the street because she said she didn't want medical care at eight years old. I'm not saying that. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I answered that question well enough. You if, did, you, if, you did. In, if you if you think I'm inconsistent, you're welcome to challenge me on it. But no, I mean, the idea everyone's going to be 100 percent consistent regardless of circumstances, you know, like you bring up like consent in point. And then I bring up, oh, yeah. What if I had to cut someone's finger to prevent a media strike? It's like, well, first of all, that's just fucking stupid. Second, yeah, you probably cut the finger. You know, the idea of being consistent despite really bad worst case scenarios 
you know, it's it's sensible to be a little pragmatic in some circumstances. So thank you for answering that question. It was a really good answer. To be annoyingly precise, because this is what I do, <laughs> I would not cut the person's finger and I would still save my child because my I, I am not aggressing on anybody by fulfilling my moral obligation to the adult version of my child to make sure that they survive. So I, I'm when when I create a human, I'm putting a life in a state of peril. And when I do that, it is morally on me to protect that life until it's in a situation that it can take care of itself. It would be like knocking somebody into a, a lake that couldn't swim. You are responsible for that situation. You need to see that that person doesn't drown or get hurt or gets rescued as quickly and, and, and as safely as possible. You own that situation. You own the situation that is your children's existence until they're old enough to sort of have self-agency around that. This is one of the questions I, I really don't want to ask, but I know that I've had it asked towards me, and so I feel like I have to ask you. As libertarians, we often respect people's uh, right to choose their own end-of-life plan. If your daughter or your kid went to a really bad breakup and was very depressed, uh, they were 17, 16 years old, and they wanted medically assisted suicide. Again, I really hate asking this question because it's very, I'm like, I'm like, it puts me in the ideal, you know, of kids being in a situation. But if a kid wanted medically assisted suicide, how would you go about? I, I really hope people won't respect the kids' wishes in that circumstance, but would you respect the kids? Like, how do you, how do you go about handling, like, I, and again, a, a preparation? is in, in order here, but this is a question that's been asked me and now I, I, will, I feel bad by I'm asking you now. Well, I, and I don't think you did this on purpose, but this is an age of, age of consent question. Either they are old enough to be, no, no, no. And, and I, again, I don't, I'm, I'm not faulting you for it, but I'm just going to point out that you picked the age at which humans sort of begin to go through that process of becoming uh, agent full fully sentient agents capable of of executing their self-ownership and being responsible in the world so you know if you ask that same question uh, but the person was 25 it, you know first of all if they let's let's do that first let's say okay they're older they're 25 they're 35 it's still my daughter and she's wanting you know assisted suicide because of a bad breakup number one wow have i failed if i raised a human that was so fragile that they would want to off themselves over something like that um two would i do everything in my entire power i would everything you know i would instantly quit my job if that's what it took i would go and move to the apartment next to hers so that i could you know be there at any moment for anything that she needed i would pay for uh counseling i would um I would lay down in front of her car to keep her from driving to the doctor to, you know, to, to have, to, to end her life. You know, I would, I would offer the doctor a hundred thousand dollars to just say no to her and move on and maybe do another patient. Like I would get so inventive. You have no idea. Um, be, I, I would do everything voluntary under the sun, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and, and I mean everything, right. Cause that's a terrible tragedy that, I would definitely feel responsible for like if you've if you've got a kid in that situation, I can't imagine that something wasn't up with the parenting. And I hope this isn't your situation. This would be very personal if it was. But I can't imagine a well-adjusted, well-raised kid um, ever making that decision. Now, on the other hand, if we go the other direction and we say we have a 12 year old 
that for some reason had a boyfriend they got broke up with and wanted to off herself i mean number one i failed like 100 ways already like a 12 year old has a boyfriend that's a problem well, my my 12 year old you know is is upset enough to even to, to even know about or think about offering yourself like that's another problem like i have failed 100 ways from sunday mm. uh and i need to own that situation figure out what i did wrong and fix it uh quickly but hell no of course i mean if it came down to it i would uh, use force on whoever I needed to use force on to preserve that life until it was old enough to be an adult so that I could fulfill my obligation. And I would, at that age, I would 100% uh, own whatever the cause was of that. Like there is nothing outside of my parenting that that could be the cause of whatever that effed up situation is. Yeah. So this come so if if we talk about both of those scenarios, then where that line is, where they cross over that age of consent, where they're where they're still a child under your protection and and uh, and responsibility, and when they're an adult, that is a, a conversation that's incredibly messy and maybe one that we don't need to get into today. I definitely, but, um, I didn't mean to bring it up either. I didn't even think about that avenue when I brought up the ages. <laughs> that was no. So mind. hopefully, I answered the question though. I okay. you did. He did. He had, I, I thought that was a, when I heard, I thought that was dumb. You know, it's like, if you're going to, the kids in that situation and they're very weak uh, and not, that's, that's insulting to the kid. It's definitely something wrong with the parenting. If that's the situation that the kid is in. And so again, I did again, philosophizing midstream. And I, I know most of the questions have been this like midway point, but when you introduce peaceful parenting, people don't think about the preparation required for peaceful parenting. They think about, well, when I was a kid, this was a situation. How would my dad have handled it? And as much as I don't like those kind of questions, I feel like having answers and giving answers, even if it's just a principled answer or a teaching answer, no, it's good to have people to answer. So uh, everybody, you know, always, wanting... everybody always feels bad for uh, for asking these midstream questions, and I, it's good. These are great questions. I just like to point out that we are kind of jumping in in midstream without yeah. the foundation. So we're trying to have my tools work but i'm using metric and you're using uh, american or whatever like it it's not a one-to-one -one match you know i that's all i try and say that's that's not a criticism these are good questions uh, okay well i have two more questions and then i think that's about it question, yeah, uh, question I, I have time i i have time no rush okay well question one uh how would how do you respond to the conservative argument like well we violate the kids consent all the time so when why can the government violate all consent you know like parents, kids, have, I've had people throw it at me. It's like, well, my mom put me in timeout. So therefore the government could rob me of my income. I'm not joking. That's literally been said to me. And it's very I've stupid. I've never heard that. You've I've been debating this for years and I've never heard something quite so absurd. So yeah, because well, your Modern conservatives did, are really stupid. Because your parents violated your consent and self-ownership, other people get to? Yes. So I, if I rob you, other people get to? If, if somebody um steals your car i get to steal your bicycle like yeah. this well, is the, not the argument is that parents all. parents have a legitimate authority over their kids and therefore so does government that the legitimate authority of parents extends to the state i know it's really stupid but even, i feel like i have to if, ask it because it's modern question no that's fine even if ad arguendo uh the parents had rightful authority over the kids which they don't um that that it, it's non sequitur. It doesn't follow that because one person has rightful authority, another per person or group of people does. Like, unless there's some connection from the parent to the government in relation to you, that, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't follow. Um, luckily, 
no one has involuntary authority over you. That's there's a word for that. It's called slavery. And slavery is universally immoral. Neither your parents nor your government can enslave you. Uh, well, I mean, their, so. their objection when I said that, I said that the objection was, oh, how dare you compare your bourgeoisie? They use they use leftist language now. How dare you compare your white bourgeoisie privileged parents to shadow slavery? I know modern tradcons are the, the the Trotskyites mixed with Buckley. They're terrible. I don't know who you're talking to, man. You need to find new Michael, people to talk. <laughs> Michael Michael knows type conservatives. Yeah, these like modern yeah. Buckley people. It's the fact that there's more than well, five of them is upsetting. <laughs> hey, if you have one that wants to debate, you know, let me know. I'll bring them on my show. Oh, I would I would be tweeting that out and tagging a few of them. Oh, okay. Well, I think that answers all of my questions, all of my uh, hypothetical objections. Um, where can people find you at if they want to hear more about Peace for Pants, you know, listen to you and Zenwald? Well, there's a lot of places. We've got a lot going on. Disenthrall.me is the main platform website where you can find most of my content. The YouTube channel, Peaceful Parenting University, and the website, PeacefulParentingUniversity.com, is where you can find the uh, Peaceful Parenting video set that I did. I made, I made a series of videos about a year ago that we're releasing now on the YouTube channel, uh, and we'll be making more videos going forward in the future on this topic. But yeah. Wonderful. Well, uh, Patrick, I have one, oh, I remember the last question. Listen, I, if you could recommend three books to people, not even about peaceful parenting, just three books in general for people to read, what would the books be? No treason, Constitution of No Authority. For anybody that thinks That's that the bit. Constitution, for anybody that thinks that the Constitution was ever valid and binding on anybody, that book will teach you otherwise. It was written by a um, a lawyer that uh, that existed around the time of the Civil War, and uh, he was the first one to try and compete with the United States Postal Service, and uh, he made them look so bad and outcompeted them so bad that they made a law that to this day prevents anybody from delivering letters. So UPS and FedEx can only deliver packages because Lysander Spooner, the guy that wrote this book showed that government does nothing well. He's one of my uh, heroes. Yeah. I absolutely love the dude. Absolutely. Constitution of No Authority. Uh, and I did the audiobook on my channel. So if you want to listen to that whole audiobook, I produced it and I was going to release it on Amazon Audible for, uh, but um, there was some copyright BS um, on Amazon side. So anyway, I just released the whole thing for free on Disenthrall's uh, YouTube channel. Wow. Um, ooh, what else? Um, 1984 nope. um, is, yeah. is, a, is a view changer and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Mm. I think those would, would you, be my three. Would you say people should read The Fountainhead before they read Atlas Shrugged or should they just jump right into Atlas Shrugged? I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I think uh, Atlas I say is... I say you got to read in order. When I read any author, I say you got to read in order of their writing. And so I would say read Fountainhead, then the own Atlas Shrugged. See their ideas develop. But I also, I'm weird. I think Fountainhead's a better book. If you only read one of the two, which would it be? Fountainhead. Really? I, 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 I'm in the minority on this, but I I think the Fountainhead is a much more personable story. And I really, I can't, I can't recommend that book enough to people. It's one of my favorites. Fair. Yeah. I'm I'm actually, I'm going to try to get you on book to come on the podcast and talk about it. I, I have I have my issues with him. I'm Catholic. I'm an anarchist, but I love objectivism. And I love you on, and so I'm gonna try to get him on. Have you seen any of my content about him? I have seen some of the, some videos about it. I 
I've seen some. He's he's got his issues. He ain't he's not perfect. But every person who likes Rand or an objective has a lot of issues. Yeah. He refused well, to debate me. Oh, sadly. I would love to see a debate. Well, this has been the uh Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Everyone had a great day, a great great time. And uh Patrick, I want to say thanks for coming on. And you sound like a phenomenal dad. So oh, thank, well, thank you. you, sir. Okay, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>